Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And what I will remember always about that trip is you're running down south, and you're running the channel, and then just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, nothing that I could discern other than, like, maybe a channel marker. You just go, you pull back on the throttles, and you go, we're just going to sit here and watch. This is that time of year. And then they just start rolling. And I go, you got to be kidding me. Like, just like that. <laughs> and I think we, we hooked up into a tarpon on that on that flat right there off that channel. Uh, nice battle. You know, we, we got that one both side and kept heading south. And then just had a great day. You know, permit, bonefish, you know, big snapper, grouper. I mean, the Marquesas are truly a magical place. This is Jeff Arias, and you're listening to the Tom Rowland Podcast. Jeff, Tom, how are you, man? Good, man. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. It's been, uh, I think, uh, probably, I think what we did that trip, uh, let's see, uh, would have been like 2009, I think. <laughs> I think we saw each other uh, shortly after that. I happened to be in the Keys fishing. You happen to be down there doing uh, some filming. But yeah, it's been it's been some time. Maybe a boat show here and there. Yeah. Well, you look oh. like you're doing awesome, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What? Tell me, fill me in. Uh, man. So, uh, as, uh, fill you in, let's see. Um, so did our trip, filmed our show, uh, since then married, got three kids, uh, nine, seven and five. And I hope I got that right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, just, uh, staying busy. You know how that can be, uh, work, working here downtown Fort Lauderdale, where you happen to be in town this week and, uh, focusing on uh, commercial construction, you know, so. Yeah, so life's busy. That's awesome. Know. So not to just uh, to gloss gloss over, but I think it's super important um, as as far as your story goes, like how we got together and how that. I mean, we we spent a week fishing in the Keys in two thousand nine, and um, so how did how did 
just to let everybody kind of bring them up to speed and tell them yeah. a little bit about your story. How did that happen? So um, my senior year of high school, um, I was diagnosed with ALL leukemia, which is a form of leukemia, blood cancer. And, um, you know, had a, you know, a, a relatively smooth process addressing that with the, with great doctors and went through that whole course, went to college and didn't delay anything in terms of, you know, keeping moving forward in life. You know, I'm a big proponent of just putting your head down and like no excuses, like find solutions. That's just how I approach life. And so, um, you know, through that experience qualified because I happened to be a few months under the 18, 18 year old marked, uh, for a make a wish. And as you know, spent years debating back and forth uh, what what it should be. You know, it needs to be something my money can't buy was my big thing. You know, I can I can make all the money in the world if I want at some point, you know, but what can money not buy? Money can't buy experiences. Right. So tossed around a few ideas, trips to Costa Rica, whatever, for whatever reason, the logistics just didn't kept not working out and um, got to the age of where they said, basically, like, it's time or you're too old. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sat there and said, give me a week and uh, was watching your show uh, one weekend and uh, said, you know what? What about these guys? You know, I said, well, you know, let's go down and fish with them. What does that look like? Threw them out the idea and make a wish as they do. Just runs with it, makes it happen. You know, they went through their channels and uh, ended up, uh, I think, uh, what time of year would that have been? August. I remember it was a good time of the year to fish. I can yeah. tell you that because I, I was just thinking about your trip. And yeah. uh, I, I, I we went to the Marquesas one day and... I, I just, I remember there were a ton of big tarpon around. I mean, what do you remember yeah. about that trip? So what I remember about that trip was, um, well, first of all, our mechanical difficulties. <laughs> we had mechanical yeah, difficulties. Yeah. I remember that we took, uh, we took Sam and David McLeaf, yeah. uh, with us. And, um, and I was like, man, you, you, he's going to want some pictures of this. This is going to be a, this is a, a big trip. Like, like this is, this is super important. So let's get some pictures. And, uh, those guys were fishing with me a lot back then. And so I brought them, but I don't remember the mechanical difficulties. That's funny because, uh, Oh, was so, it a trailer? Well, what happened was, I don't think you had planned it. I think I lost the audio on my headphones here. Did you? It yeah. might be this right here. <clears throat> um, I don't think you had planned on fishing the Marquesas is, is kind of what I think we ended up discussing one time is, uh, you kind of, you know, thought it was going to be the, the typical make-a-wish trip. There it is. It's back. Um, make-a-wish trip, you know, a kid who's got some interest in fishing. Come to find out, like, I fish fish, you know. Right. Like, I'm out in the bay, like, after school three or four times a week. And, like, I fish fish, right? Um, and um, But that had been a recent thing for me, but, you know. But anyways, I, I – um, and so you said, let's let's go down to Marquesa. That's my favorite place. This is that time of year. You know, you gave me the whole sales pitch. I said, I'm on board. You know, you tell me where and when, and I'm on board. Um, and so through that, I think we ended up needing to borrow your, uh, a car or whatever. And that car, the, the <laughs> yellowfin was just too much boat for that truck, I think. So we, uh, we ended up, uh, I think overheating the transmission or something, but anyways, we made it there. We fished and what I will remember always about that trip is you're running down South and you're running the channel and then just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, nothing that I could discern other than like maybe a channel marker. You just go. You pull back on the throttles and you go, we're just going to sit here and watch. This is that time of year. And then they just start rolling. And I go, you got to be kidding me. Like, just like that. <laughs> and I think we, we hooked up into a tarpon on that, on that flat right there off that channel. Uh, nice battle. You know, we, we got that one both side and kept heading south. 
and then just had a great day. You know, permit, bonefish, you know, big snapper, grouper. I mean, the Marquesas are truly a magical place, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you slammed. I yeah. remember that. That yep. was that was super awesome. And um I do remember that uh that morning. It was slick calm and the the place where we were, I mean, there can there can be a lot of fish in there. And it was it was at the time that I was discovering the the magic of the uh of the jerk bait and the braid combination. Yep. Because I would almost entirely fly fish for those fish that were in there for the longest period of time, because with the tackle that we had before, there was like this big innovation where the rods got thinner, more, more castable. And like a tarpon rod before was this, was this big thing with a big reel and mono, like, like 20 pound mono or 12 pound mono. And you could, it was basically for drifting back or it was basically for, I don't know, you weren't going to cast this rod very effectively. So when you came to a bunch of laid up fish, the most effective way to do it was fly fish for them because you could land the fly in the water nice and softly. And, and even though you could only cast so far, you could still cast a fly rod further than you could cast 20 pound mono. Sure. And so these fish, just basically weren't getting fished other than fly fishing. And there's only so many people that can throw a fly, you know, effectively to these. So, you know, you would go into these places and you would hook one and maybe two. If you'd have a great fly fisherman, he might hook three. Right. And then uh, the the rods got better. The reels got got better drag systems on them. And then braid came braid. out and the braid, I could have 20 pound braid. That was the equivalent of eight pound mono. Yep. And then I would just head hook a, a jerk bait and I could throw it three or four times as far as the fly. Right. Yep. Oh my God. It was a melee. So that, that's the, that's the technology I walked into with my fishing that's journey. Right. right. Like I hate, Mono, like I, I, when I have to tie knots with mono, I mean everything about mono stinks to me. You know, yeah. it's like so. So I'm like a fully indoctrinated in the braid thing. So yeah, I, I completely get that. It's a game changer. It's cool to hear how much it changed the approach to things from guys like you because I, I didn't experience that transition. You know, I started right. fishing later on in life. I was um, a buddy. I always had the interest in fishing, so I grew up camping with my family. And I was, you know, dad, we got to take a boat somewhere. Dad, we got to. So we'd get these inflatable boats and I'd spend all day out on the lake and I'd catch one stinking fish. It didn't matter to me. And it's it's funny how I see like uh, like redneck engineering and, and just like not knowing what I didn't know, but still using the same methods I use today. So drifting, I was like, I'm, I'm moving too fast in this thing because I don't have a motor. I don't know. There's no trolling motor. Just sitting in an inflatable boat. So I'd tie uh, Publix bags together with the <laughs> rope and toss it out the back and make a sock. You know? Nice. I just knew, again, physics, right? I needed to slow my drift down, right? Um, and um, and then ended up buying a John boat. I, I was raised to, again, work. Uh, you know, I had lawn business as a middle schooler. I worked for my money. John boat goes for sale down the road, coming home one day from school for sale. But dad, we got to go look at it. Convince him to let me buy that thing. And um and that's really when my fishing started. Started talking to my buddy at school who was would take these fishing trips with his dad. And he, you know, started inviting me on some trips. And then by the time we got to about 16, um, he got his driver's license. And that became a whole level of freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Now we can tow the boat wherever we want. We can fish these places. He fished 
Chukaluski a lot and we'd do a trip every end of the school year, every year camping trip over there was great, but he really, you know, was, I guess the guy who really walked me through how to, how to approach fishing. And then through college, ended up buying a flats boat and I would fish North Bay, South Bay and Biscayne Bay area a lot, all over area. I went to school in Miami. So, you know, it was, you know, there was days I dragged the boat to class, parking in the parking lot and get in the truck after class and go to the ramp. I mean, it's That's just, awesome. I grew up totally addicted. You know, for me, it was an outlet because going through what I went through at that time, um, in college, I was still going through treatment stuff. There'd be times where you can't really go out into the crowds, you're, you know, your autoimmune, your, your immunity system's low and compromised and there's no one out there. There's nothing to catch out, you know, other than a fish or two, right? Yeah. When you're fishing. So I just fell in love with it. I always had the passion for it, but uh, kind of being forced into uh, growing up an athlete and then going through a lot of what I went through and, and some of the side effects I went through, I could no longer really participate in athletics the way I wanted to. And it gave me that competitive edge there, you know, that gave me some like that drive and that I think like, kind of what we were talking about earlier, just that laser focus of like, how do I get better at that? You know, I want to catch that fish that I know lives there. How do I do that? Right. And so it, uh, it, it kept me engaged with something, I think, at a critical point in my life. So how did you do that? Like how when you discovered like maybe it's a bonefish or it's a certain type of fish, what was your process of getting better and what was your process of of making sure that you accomplish that goal. So I I'm have the benefit of being a dot com baby, right? So I'm a, you know, I grew up, I remember the first dial tone, right? Uh, <laughs> in my in my parents' living room. Uh it was the internet for me. Florida Sportsman Forum. Uh, several of the people I've had on the podcast I've met through that forum. I mean, it was an unbelievable time. It was ahead of its time. Um it was essentially what social media is today. It was such a close community in South Florida, people that were on those forums. They'd have local meet meetups and, you know, get togethers and local tournaments and guys knew each other at the ramp. And it was all driven through this online forum that to this day, I will stand by at Florida Sportsman did not know what they had there because mm-hmm. they shut it down eventually. But I mean, just an unbelievably tight knit, a lot of you know, BSing going on online, a lot of razzing, a lot of photoshopping, right? Yeah. But it was just an unbelievable community again. And, and even to this day, you go on Facebook and you see like, you know, I, I, we were talking about this with my buddy, Mike, who's been on the podcast the other day, you know, go on your friends list and see how many of those people are from that forum. And it's astounding, right? Tony, another guy I had on the podcast, same thing. You know, uh, it was just an unbelievable resource. And then an unbelievable community that led to even more knowledge. You know, huh. a lot of guys that I would just, Again, they would take me fishing in, in Flamingo and I would learn something from them. And then I'd go to Chuckalusky with another guy. I learned something from him. And so it was it was a combination of, again, self-education, but then also learning from everyone that that had been there, done that. Yeah. I also had a forum on my website that was um, when I look back on it, it like you said, it's hard to understand what you had there because there was this community of people that were coming to the site every single day and then talking. Yeah. And mine shut down because it got infested with porn spam. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that that's probably what happened to the Florida sportsman too, because that's where all those kind of people saw, Oh, look, there's this line of, there's this online community here. All we got to do is go post here. Right. Everybody's going to see it. Right. Well, they saw it. All right. But it also led to the demise of, all of those forums, because there was another forum that I used to go to 
um, that was uh, an exercise form. It was Ross Enomite. And on his website, he had this wonderful form and it was this beautiful community of people. And, and the same thing happened. He, he ended up just, just shutting it down and turning it into a public Facebook page yep. or whatever, which just doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same magic that it did back then. No. And even before that, I don't know if you can remember this, but there on AOL, they used to have chat rooms. Do you remember those chat rooms on AOL? I wasn't a huge chat room guy. I did have AIM, right? Or I think it was called Instant Messenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I never really uh, I used it, but I used it more uh, socially with the people I knew and mm-hmm. never really explored the uh Yeah, the chat room kind of actually came before the message board. And the chat room was way ahead of its time, I think. It was an online live community. Right. And it was these little pieces of data that were small enough that could be transmitted immediately right. with the internet the way that it was. So you and I are on, in this chat room together. We can't see one another, but you're talking. It says, you know, whatever your 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 deal is. Right. Like I remember this one dude, he ran the thing and it was FBN, the Fishing Broadcast Network. That's what it was called. Okay. And like, I don't even know how I found it. It's like, try a chat room. And right. it's like, what's a chat room? And, and then it's like, <laughs> it's like fishing broadcast network. I was like, oh, that one looks good. And try that. And then there was like uh, fly fishing, there was saltwater fishing, there was all this, but there was just this general room and you could go in there and you would type out, hey, what's going on? And it would be like instantaneous. Right. And almost like it would be like a text. It would be like a, it, it's like a group text. Right. That's what it is yeah, today. Correct. It was a yeah. group text. And anybody could get on there. And the exchange of information that happened there was absolutely incredible. And that's where the the first webinar came from. Like, I used to get on there and this guy, FBN Pesky, that was his name. I, I can't even believe I can remember <laughs> that. But it ended up that that guy came down to fish with me. Um and it was like, that was like the beginning of like a blog. He was like, I'm going to come down, I'm going to take some pictures and I'm going to write an article. And I'm like, well, where's it going to be? And he's like, on AOL. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I guess, I mean, right. I don't know. Who's going to see like, it? <laughs> yeah. But it turned out a lot of people saw it. Yeah. Um, but that was just an interesting time because those chat rooms were, were this exchange of information, which eventually turned into the message boards which eventually were were damaged by spam and it, it turned into social media right. but it was so far ahead of its time i booked the first trip on the internet uh ever through that chat room wow yeah i still i'm still in touch with this guy today uh kyle quillen he probably listens to the podcast hey kyle um he he and i got on this chat room and we would go back and forth and that FBN pesky guy, he would ask me, Hey, you know, when you come home from fishing today, how about coming on? Uh, and, and people can just ask you questions about fishing in the keys or whatever. I was like, okay. And so I'd sit on there for an hour and I remember my roommate was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm talking to these people online. He's like on the internet. And then he's like, when are you going to be finished with that? Cause I got to use the phone. Like we used to have to (laughs) unplug the phone, like to, to plug it into your computer and then nobody could use the phone. And, and it would, it was like, man, I'm going to be on for an hour. Like, okay. So this guy, Kyle, he's like, well, I want to book a trip with you. Okay. And so, this was the first time that I 
ever did anything online without seeing someone. Okay. It was today. It sounds like, well, yeah, I mean, that's what you do every day. Like you remember geographically how far away he was. Yeah. He was in Boca, Boca uh, Raton. And, uh, um, he, yeah, Boca Raton. Uh, he, um, eventually started a fly shop up there called the old Florida fly shop. And he got way into it. Um, but he booked a trip with me and I'm like, okay, now, now sometimes you would, but we were like, there was this, there was this kind of urban myth and legend back then that like people are, will stalk you online right. and they will kill you. Like this is this, right. like, yeah. I mean, there were all these weird stories of how, how you just, you know, were doing something online and bad things happened. Right. right? Catch brother. So, <laughs> but I'm kind of like, but I've been talking to this guy for months right. on here and I think it's going to be okay. And I had to really come to terms with this, like booking a trip online with somebody that you had never seen or talked to before. And then it's like, but you never put your phone number out there. No, no, don't right. do that. So I was like, okay, well, you don't put your phone number out there. So what do you do? So I'm like, meet me at Garrison Bite at <laughs> seven o'clock on this day. And he's like, okay. And, um, I'm like, okay. So it gets to that day and I, I'm like telling my wife, I'm like, okay, I have no idea what's going to happen here. I hope I see you this afternoon. And then I decide, well, the best place to fish today is the Marquesas. So I, I'm going to pick him up and go to the Marquesas. So later we have a great trip. He catches a permit. Everything's great. As I remember, maybe he didn't catch anything. I don't know. I remember it being a great day. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, cool. So he ended up fishing with me a whole bunch of times. Right. And we became friends. And then then he opened this fly shop. I went up there. I did some fly casting instruction up there. We stayed in touch to today. And uh, I, I even recognize him on social media. It's chilling with Quillen. Well, that's cool. And he's all over my social media. And, and we just stayed in touch. But eventually I asked him, I was like, you remember that day? And he's like, oh, yeah. I was like, was that as weird for you as it was for me? And he was like, are you kidding? We had never talked to each other. And then I get in the boat with you and you run me out to the Marquesas. I'm like, I'm definitely going to die today. <laughs> That's funny. You guys are doing the same. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, it's funny because I, I look back at that time in my life. And with today's perspective, with, again, I guess being a dad and, and that all changes your perspective. But I was crazy doing what I was doing. <laughs> I can't believe my parents let me, right? I would just like meet these guys online and be like, yeah, so Friday morning, four o'clock in the morning, I'll be at your house. We'll drive down to Flamingo. Like, I can't believe my parents didn't have a tracker on me. I can't believe they let me go. I mean, I just disappear <laughs> for a day and then come back and be like, yeah, I just met a stranger. But it was it was crazy. But met a lot of good people that way and um, that are still friends to this day. And, and yeah, it was... Uh, the uh, early early era of the internet, yeah. yeah, yeah. Would you, as a parent now, would you let your kids do that? Oh man, I, I've had this debate in my mind, and my wife and I always talk about that because it's funny how like uh, you, you you parent a certain way, and then you go, "Well, gee, I used to do that," you know, right? And it's you know, it's so subjective, right? It's always a case by case basis. Probably not the way my parents did, which is basically they never touched the forum. They had no presence on like they knew nothing about it, you know, so like probably to be that un, um, unattached to it, probably zero chance in today's yeah. world. Right. And and the way people use those tools has changed, unfortunately, for the negative um, on a lot of things. But um, 
yeah, probably probably zero chance that I let uh, Owen as a fourteen year old do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just meet up with some stranger just online with some forty year old guy. Yeah. You know, it might be, could be just fun. It's it's such a weird thing because that's how the helicopter parenting starts. Is like, oh, things have changed, right? But have they? Yeah. Like really? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not sure that they have. Like, maybe we're in the safest time we've ever been. We're just more exposed to more information right. is how I view it, right? And so I kind of always have to tell myself, like, you know, those people were still there, you know, back then. You know, it's just now, uh, you know, it's all about, again, clickbait and, you know, say whatever you want to say about today's media. But, you know, we're more exposed to it in a different way than we were back 20 years ago when I was doing that. And um, so, yeah, I, I do tell myself that at times, which is, you know, listen, people don't change. Those people have always been around. Bad has always been in the world. You know, at some point you got to say, you know, risk analysis. And I, so I guess that's the main thing I would say is that I kind of raise the kids to, you know, understand risk, be okay with risk, but weigh your risks. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think that's, um that's important to learn in life is how to, how to analyze that. But yeah. then there's also the, the, when you look at it and you're like, what did I gain as a young person doing that and having these experiences? And would I really want my son to not have those? Right. Right. Like that yeah. adventure. Like yeah. you're when you talk about it, your eyes light up and you're like, man, we were in Chuckalusky <laughs> and we were doing this, we were doing that out of an aluminum John boat, yep. going offshore, catching Mahi. I don't know. You probably weren't doing that, but that it's a dangerous thing. Like yep. you're you're in an aluminum boat doing crazy stuff. That's adventure. Yep. And like that shaped you to who you are. And then when I think about my parenting, this was where my wife and I, how we are always kind of walking this line of like, when do you let them go and do these things that you know are dangerous, but you did them. Right. Right. right? Like, yeah. and then like, I remember running out of gas <laughs> with a, with a John boat. And I had this motor that you had to wrap the cord around the top and then pull it. And the flywheel was exposed right. on top. And it was like a spinning circular saw yeah. on top. But but it's right there by your hand. <laughs> and my parents just let me go out there with that thing, yeah. whatever. And it had a little gas or the gas tank was attached and it was on the floor. But I had a small gas tank. And, you know, I ran out of gas on the other side of the lake. And I had to swim the boat back. And I remember looking up at the dock and thinking, I think I see my dad there. And, uh, you know, he's just sitting on the dock waiting (laughs) and watching me swim it all the way back. And I swim it all the way back. And he's like, that was a long swim, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah, it was a long swim. He's uh, like, maybe next time you check your gas. Right. But he's watching. You know, I mean, I don't know what I would do if I saw my son out there swimming a boat back. He's like, it'd be fine. You know, and I'm like. Really? <laughs> we, we, uh, when you did this trip to Chukaluski every year and, uh, you know, an old 17, 80, 17 foot Mako, with like an OMC or some unreliable two stroke engine. Right. And we do this trip all the time. No problem. Well, we did one, I think it was a two night trip, camping trip, three day trip. And the second day we're out there and the engine won't start. We're away from camp. We're fishing. Wow. We have a trolling motor and we say, all right. It's uh, two o'clock. Let's start pushing. So we get out of the boat. We start pushing across the shoreline, knowing. And I guess I guess this is the the, the bigger picture is teach your kids how to solve solute, solve problems and fend for themselves. Right. And we just said, we got to pass a channel so we can't use the trolling motor because we need the trolling motor in that deep water. 
we'll push the boat as far as we can. If we can't make it, we'll push it on the beach and we'll all sleep in the boat. You know, we didn't have much choice. It's, you know, make you make your way, push that all the way back. Got a ride back with a guide and uh, showed up at my buddy's house without him. <laughs> His mom freaked out. Right. Can you imagine that? Where was he? He was still back at camp Oh boy. Right? with all the supplies and the boat and everything oh, else. No. And um, plenty of food. And there was other guys camping on the island with us. But yeah, just uh, again, stories that we look back at and just reminisce. And, you know, but at the same time, as parents look back on and go, you know, man, that's crazy that I, I yeah. did that, you know, but today yeah. there'd be a search party and a helicopter going after right. that kid, yeah. even though you could see on the phone and probably talk to <laughs> right. her. Are you OK? Deepers Are you sure yeah. you're OK? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, We were down at Lostman. So no cell phone reception. Wow. You know, we were we were 20 miles from the nearest ramp. So, but man, just to. Again, it's a story that bonds us for life, right? You know, so and so, yeah, that's a it's a real <laughs> delicate line to 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 follow when you're raising kids and in this world of this super helicopter parenting because that was the that was the real tricks to to good parenting for me was like when do you when can you see the mistakes that are about to happen and allow your children to make these mistakes that you know they're about to make. But when they make them and do exactly what you think they're going to do, fail. Right. And it's going to be in a safe spot. Right. That's something that has really changed, I think, with parenting. Now, a lot of parents don't want anything to happen to their kid. They don't want any failure. Right. I don't think it's good. No. no. I don't don't think it's good at all. I love that. I love that saying. um, uh, I think I heard it on Rogan's podcast recently, which is, you know, tough men make, you know, good times, good times make soft men, soft men, you know, make, you know, and it's just like this, you know, this, this uh, circular perpetuating motion, which you look back through history and it's true. You know, we have times of, of great success and, you know, everyone's having a great time and that next generation's kind of compromised, you know, and then they got to learn, you know, and I think we're going through that as a nation, you know, but it's, I tell myself this all the time, right? Because my wife and I kind of have, I guess different uh, fences as to what's dangerous, right? right? And so my son will be playing with whatever a hook that has a hook on it. That's sharp. I go, he touches it once. He'll know it's sharp. <laughs> and he, that's ask me how I know, right? You know, like ask me how I know. You know, I, it, hooks are sharp. You know, that's right. <laughs> you learn to be careful. So it's just part of the territory, and you got to tell yourself that to some extent on things like this, hunting and fishing and the outdoors. I think that's probably part of what is the appeal to a lot of us who love it, which is there are no rules. You know, it's it's a little bit figure out yourself, but it's also that level of danger and risk associated with some of the activities we do, whether it is taking a boat to the Marquesas where you have no reception and, you know, you're out there with no support and you're hoping you make it back at the end of the day, but there is that risk that something happens, right? Um, or whether you're, you're, you're stalking prey on a multi-day hunt and, Again, you got to hope you brought enough water, enough food. You know, what's your backup plans if you didn't? You know, yeah. all these things. I think that's uh, it's somewhat ingrained in our DNA as as humans to kind of push the boundary there. You know, yes. and that that's such a um, probably early. You know, it's it's so Neanderthal those aspects of it. But you know, we do it today with technology and different things. We're willing to take a level of risk for the upside. And uh, again, it's just part of our DNA as people. You, know, hmm. so. you got a really interesting, I, I've always thought this, even when, when we were fishing together and you were, you were 
a young young man. You have a very interesting perspective, and you've got a good work ethic, and you've got you've got a good attitude about so many things. Where where does that come from? Is that from your upbringing? Is that from your parents? Is that where do you get that? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is um, probably. Uh... I think a lot of it's influenced by what I saw growing up. So, you know, my dad is an immigrant from Cuba and I was, you know, we lived early in my life uh, behind my grandparents, you know. So, again, and, and was, they were somewhat highly involved with my my early years. But I was always very proud of that fact that, you know, I, I came from from a family that came from nothing, really. I mean, my, my dad came here with basically the clothes on his back, you know and and made away from himself you know my grandfather worked three or four jobs at some times to, to make it make it happen and um you know i just i think that perspective of of and, and i was raised to really like don't bring the excuse to the table you mm -hmm. know just don't bring it like it's fine that that may be your reason not to do something but don't that's not what you tell others you know and i was raised with a kind of a unique perspective on that um i think probably because it was probably ingrained into my dad through that immigrant mentality just that put your head down and work mentality um but i think a lot of it also has to do with uh you know i was raised to also project an like an era of confidence right mm -hmm. and know where you want to go it doesn't mean that's where you end up but you got to have a goal right you have to have something you're working towards in life and so, I mean, little things like I was always told I now was brought up. Someone asks you, what do you want to study in college? You don't tell them. I don't know. Right. You just don't pick something. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just pick something, because if you don't know. What are you doing? Like you're, you're working with no objective and no goal, you know? And so I think that that type of mentality and that ingraining is kind of what shaped a lot of how I approach things today. Um, and, and through life and, and through my experience with cancer, it was just kind of like, all right, what's next? Like, <laughs> there is no time to wallow. There is no self-pity. Like, the only way to get out of this is to move forward. So how do we move forward? Because anything else is just wasting time. And that's kind of how I approach a lot of things. So I think um, I think it is a lot of my upbringing. I think, again, going back to what we were talking about, I mean, it's just things like, you know, you're going to mow the lawn, <laughs> you know, at seven or whatever age I was like, I couldn't even pull start the lawnmower. Right. I was that small, but it was, I'm going to pull start it for you. Don't let go of this handle <laughs> and you're going to mow the lawn. Right. And then I got to the point where I could, you know, push it fast enough to stop and pull start it. And all of a sudden another level of independence. Hey, I can go mow lawns on my own now, you know? And again, that freedom to go do it. Right. Hey, from this block to this block, that's all your territory. And it was just go get those lawns, go mow that, make that money, you know? Um, so I think, again, that was probably a lot, a lot of that self-driven, right? The, 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 the drive to go and make the dollar and do the work. But a lot of it was enabled by the way I was brought up, which was, yeah, you could go do that. You know, you can disappear for a Friday and mow lawns or Saturday and mow lawns. We, we know so you're how would lawns. you feel if so, your son wanted to go do that right now? I've told him, uh, I will finance your endeavor. <laughs> That's what I've told him, which is, you know, I, I don't see that enough in today's world. I think, Have they shown any interest in, in doing that? Well, they've got the, the benefit of, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, girls have done um, lemonade stands, right? Yeah. You know, they saw a lemonade stand. They're like, hey, let's do that. My daughter loves Shark Tank, so she's always pitching me like, she'll draw something and be like, you like this? It, two dollars you know like you know she, <laughs> she knows that things have value which is great you know so um i think it's it's unique world that kids are growing up in today exposed to so much entrepreneurship and so much 
um, ease of access to things, you know, um, which, uh, man, I, if I had the access, they had the resources, it, it'd be a whole nother uh, story. But um, yeah, I think um, I think it's a combination of the two is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. How did your mindset and this, this the way that you were brought up and this ability to handle problems, how did how did that play into into the, the cancer? Like when you first were diagnosed, like your fan, did your family come together and is like, okay, this is what we're, this is what we're presented with. Yeah. I think, I think in that area, we probably, <laughs> my dad definitely handles things different, right? He, he gets a little more stressed out when it comes to that stuff. I don't know. For me, I was just, I, I never felt, I never felt a sense of self pity really. I mean, I, I can remember, uh, something unique about my story is so I, I had a physical in August and I was tip top shape. Right. I mean, I used to run track across country. I played basketball hours upon hours and come November, I started feeling a little down, but I thought it was seasonal flus, allergies, whatever, uh, go through the holidays. And then sometime in January, we had a game go up for a rebound, take an elbow to the nose and the bleeding just won't stop. I mean, it just won't stop. So we go see an ENT doctor. <clears throat> he patches things up in the nose. Bleeding comes back. He's like, I think there's something bigger here. Go see, you know, and your primary, my primary could not believe the test results. She was like, there's some, run it again. Wash the machine. Well, you know, I think my hemoglobin has always been historically high. It was 16 point whatever. I mean, on the highest end of the spectrum, I showed up that day telling her I had just come from basketball practice. My hemoglobin's like in the twos. I mean, she's like, how are you? So standing up like mm. awake i go i i can't stand up too quickly i black out you know she's <laughs> like you just came from basketball practice so again i think it's just my mentality so driven to like just put your head down like get through it like um and so i never felt that self-pity i just showed up to the er they told me this is what it is we'll take care of you and i go all right i mean you're the doc tell me what to do you know like i just i just saw like solutions again i, I probably had a positive uh, diagnosis early on we caught it early enough and you know i responded great to the treatments and whatnot but it didn't come without its challenges i one of the side effects from one of the medicines i took blew out my shoulders and my my hips i've had double hip replacement surgery you know but again it was just like let's find the solution let's get on with it and came to the point in life where it's like i can't let this hold me back anymore i got a life to live like you know i know that they're saying you know the hips only last x amount of years or whatever but like I'm not going to get those 30 years back if I don't do it. You know? wow. So I've always just had the an ability to kind of spin everything into like, what's the positive in this, you know, and what's the upside. Um, and so I, I think that's, again, that's how I got through it. It just was like kind of next step, next step. When's the next appointment show up on to the next thing. You know, it's just, it was just the, it was just the, it was a, like a meeting on my calendar. It was nothing else than that. You know? Do you think that can be taught to, to people like, like, how to go through that process? Yeah, I think, I think yes and no. I think a lot of it can be a, a, a programming of the mind in terms of, you know, what is it that you focus on? I think a lot of people focus a lot of negative energy on, on excuses or reasons why something hasn't happened. Um, when a lot of times it's right there for the taking and they just, they just, they want to come up with every rhyme or reason for why it hasn't happened for them when it, nothing ever happens overnight for those who are successful. Right. And so um, I think a lot of it is, is more of a programming of the mind of 
like this isn't a microwave solution. You're not going to put it in there, hit 30 seconds and it's going to pop out done. Right. Like this is something you're going to have to invest into. And so I, I've, again, my dad, that, that's probably again, going back to the programming. Saw my dad really drilled in my mind, which is like everything you do, do it to the best of your ability <laughs> and everything you do. Like, how do you use that to do the next thing? You know? Um, and, and so that's just kind of, again, how I approach that whole time in my life of like, how do we get, through this as fast as possible what do i need to do to make it a smooth road for myself um but then also like you know what can i do in the meantime to take your mind off of that right because a lot of uh, i think where it becomes uh the negative creeps in when you spend too much time thinking on it you know like if you sit there and think about the situation all day every day you're gonna find the negative and then right. you're gonna start focusing in on it um don't let yourself get to that spot so it's just about teaching yourself how to kind of how your mind how to focus in on on not to focus in too much on certain things and how to focus in on other things it's really interesting because like you could have been talking about your 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 experience with cancer or you could have been talking about your experience starting a business like and and having some pitfalls and and challenges and the same explanation could be applied to both yep. right like what you were saying is is that's how you got through cancer and ultimately create a healthy body like that but when i'm listening to it i'm like man that's like you could apply that anywhere absolutely yeah. so have you absolutely yeah I, I you know um absolutely through through my early professional life that's kind of i think the frustration i had with a lot of the roles i ended up in and and you know and this is from a job perspective a work perspective just not happy with the inability to kind of, you know, being told what to focus in on, being told how to do the job. Be, and like, if you have the solution, great, but that's not our solution, you know, and that just that frustration. And again, that's for some people, it's not for everyone. And that's kind of what I preach is like, you know, define success the way you define success, not how the world defines success. If your level of success is defined by going to college and becoming a doctor, great. But if your level of success is also like being a carpenter and making amazing furniture, go do that. You don't need to go to college because some guidance counselor told you, hey, go to college, you know, do this, do that. Like there's success all around us. And that's what I love about particularly I think South Florida is unique to that because of what a thriving hub of business it is. The immigrant story that's down here. I mean, you've got guys, you know all over the place that came from nothing and now are unbelievably successful in what they do, whether it's running nonprofits, running businesses, you know, whatever that might be, um, have just found their avenue and way. And again, it doesn't have to be about the dollar or the money. It can be about my level. My, my definition of success is having a healthy family and owning my own house. And that's good for me. I can work for the corporation. Like I'm happy there, you know? And so I think that gets lost in today's society where it's, it's too much outward, definition of success and not enough inward mm -hmm. um and so yeah i think um i i think that that whole mentality has kind of gotten me to where i am now in life which is doing what i want to do you know and and operating the way i want to with a level of freedom to kind of learn along the way and mm -hmm. i think that's the beauty of life is like never stop learning um i think that's probably another big takeaway yeah, that changes your perspective is if you see everything as a learning opportunity there's always a positive yes because you're learning something whether it's a negative experience or a positive experience if you learn you've you've 
come away with a positive. You know? Right. Yeah. And then you can apply that somewhere else in your life and, and, and really turn it into a positive, yeah. even if it's, even if it's a negative. I mean, that's like one of Conor McGregor, it's, it's attributed to Conor McGregor. I don't know if he's the one that actually said it, but it's like, there is no, there is no, uh, failure. You either learn, you either win or you learn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, uh, I, I think about that all the time. It's like, I don't know. There, there's, there's a couple of fears that some people have, like there's a fear of failure, right? That, that affects a lot of people and you, you, you won't try something because you're afraid you might fail. But then, then there's the other thing is like the fear of success, which I, I never had the fear of failure because I failed all the time. I was, you know, in the bottom third of my class, like I was small, like I, I got, there's a failure right all the time every day right. there's failure so failure that doesn't matter to me like yeah i fail three or four times before i succeed and you know what there's a lot of success as well but there's tons of failure involved with it now other people that are more athletically talented or smarter or have a higher iq they have a super uh fear of failure because they have been set up as oh you're the best here you're 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 right. you're natural you're you're the smartest one in the class well they don't want to be exposed as anything less than that right. so they're afraid to like really put it out there right. but then there's the fear of success which is like oh well if if i you know do what i'm talking about doing how will my friends you know, react. Will I still have friends? Will, will can I maintain that success? Right. Yeah. You can know? you maintain it? Can you like, w would I have to move away from here? Would I have to, you know, take a different job? Like right. there's this fear of success and, and it's sabotaging for, for a ton of people like, and, and me included, I, I battled with the fear of, of, of success more than the fear of, of failure. I don't know which one is the harder one to get around. They're probably equally as difficult for, right. for the person involved. But, you know, it's funny that you're, you talk about your, your Cuban heritage and, and the immigrant mentality, because some of the hardest work, well, definitely the hardest working people that I know today that that really 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 go after it and work and you're just like you did what like you stayed up all night for three nights to yeah. edit this show and then now you're doing something else and they're they're cuban immigrants mm -hmm. they come from cuban cuban descent and so do you think that that is is a cuban thing or an immigrant thing or just a kind of thing where a certain person is put in a situation to where there is no other option but to put your head down and work. Does that come from a Cuban heritage? Does that come from an immigrant heritage? I think or you is see it, it in all immigrants, situational? right? I think you see it in all immigrants. I mean, you've seen it with, you know, the Italians in areas of the country. You see it with the Irish in other areas of the country. I think what's unique with South Florida and what I've been exposed to is how quickly it happened here. Yeah. You know, again, probably due to the the era of which it happened in versus the Italian immigration was, you know, much longer ago and Irish. And but I think that's how quickly it happened, how quickly that community established themselves down here and how quickly they started making an impact, I think, is what's unique to what I've been exposed to. You know, guys that came here like my dad at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, you know, by the age of 40, they're VPs of huge banks. And it's like, how did that happen? Like, how did a guy who came here and didn't speak English? is now running what <laughs> a lot of people can't fathom of an operation, right? The guys at CV are a perfect example of that, right? You know, Ariel and, and his partners down there, Cuban immigrants bought this company out of bankruptcy and now is, 
this monster boat manufacturer down here, you know, employing hundreds of people, you know, just moved into a brand new factory. You know, they just stories like that are not rare down here, you know, and that's kind of what I love about that. I think, uh, again, I think it is a uniquely immigrant thing and not a uniquely um, ethnic thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The immigrant, the immigrant mentality, I guess, I guess it could be. Well, it, you would think that it could be just anyone who is placed in a situation to where there's really you you you, you swim or you die. Well, I think you know? what's, what's unique about the, the especially the immigrants of my dad's generation is that their parents came here with a mentality, which is spend as little amount of money as possible, save up everything in order to give your kids a better life. Right. And then what you see as those generations grow up is they go. Well, I don't want to just save all my money and just get by. I want to I want more to life than that, right? And if I'm going to make my father's sacrifices worth anything, I got to make my kids life better. So, by nature there's this like mentality of of one-upping what you experienced prior, you know, growing up. I think is what you see a lot of down here. There's nice. a lot of guys that just like, "Hey, if I if this is where the bar's set, how do I raising you know mm -hmm. so where does that sit with your life now and what you're doing and and the goals that you have for yourself so i i um uh, again it's just more of a, a mentality of you know work wise i just I attack everything with opportunity and with an ownership mentality um which i think is unique uh f for me and, and and the relationship i have with uh with my employer is that every decision i make isn't like what's best for me or the easy decision. It's what decision would I make if this was my company? Hmm. Right. And I think that brings a whole uh, level of value uh, that is not typical. Right. And so I think that that's, that's uh, an intangible that's just hard to find, but also enables you to experience a different level of success because people will see that. And all of a sudden it becomes, if I can trust him to make those decisions like that, like how much, value is that to my company i'm not hiring an employee i'm hiring someone to run this division run the shop run and so i think for someone like me and again I'm, I'm, you know kind of the the purpose behind my podcast was to explore these mentalities because i was kind of frustrated with how i saw uh education approached and also how i see education still approached today which is very like you got to go to school, yeah, which is, again, very much the immigrant upbringing because you came here like you're going to go to school. <laughs> like That's part of what America offers. Like you're going to participate in it. Um, I, I think it's in today's world with how much resources we have and how much available we have via the Internet and those around us. And, and I just I don't think that uphold, I, I think college is a dying institution personally. And so that's kind of been shaped by my experience of going to school, studying accounting not really loving it, but it was like the safe decision. It was the decision that I ended up after changing my mind a few times. I knew I could make good money doing it if I really put my mind to it, you know, but did I love it. I, you know, didn't love it through my early professional career, started realizing like, I, I, I like to tell people I'm an operator, like just give me what needs to get done. I'm going to figure it out. Like, I don't care what industry it is. I don't care what the task is. Like, I just see how to take that elephant down one bite at a time. Right. <laughs> And so I, I don't think those skill sets are taught enough in today's world. I think too much of it is like memorize this, pass this test, you know, study this, become this person. Right. And that has its place. It has its place in the world. You want to go work for the big companies. Great. You want to become a doctor, lawyer. You got to you got to play the game. But I think 
we also should be teaching our kids how to maximize everything that they do. Right. And so, Hey, if you want to be good at that, like there's a way to be good at that. If you want to start that business, you, we can do that. Like we're not teaching that enough. I mean, we see it on shark tank. We see entrepreneurship has become a think overly sexy in the sense that people think it's easy. Yeah. You know, and it's not right. (laughs) Do you ever hear the Elon Musk quote about being an entrepreneur? No. He's somebody asked him like, what what do you tell people that that ask you what it's like to be an entrepreneur? And he said, "Well, no one really asked me that, but if they did ask me, I would say being an entrepreneur is like um, staring into the black abyss of death while you're chewing on glass." <laughs> and he said, "He said, and then you know you get going." And you're, you're doing it. I'm paraphrasing this. I might be messing it up, but you're doing it. And then, you know, on some days it's like staring into the abyss of glass of of death while you're chewing on glass. And some days it's just like chewing on glass. Right. (laughs) The other days or the rest of the days. And I may have just totally messed that up, but, but you get the, you get the point of being an entrepreneur is like, yeah, it's like, it's like that whole thing of, an overnight success, 20 years in the making. Like, that's why a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people, like the people that the sharks on Shark Tank, right. you look at them and you're like, man, wouldn't that be awesome to do right. that? And it's like, well, yeah, but every one of those people has a story right. of horrible failure mm-hmm. and staring into the abyss of death right. while chewing on glass and then somehow right. pulling themselves out of that and here they are today. Yeah, but, I mean, it, could, it, it could be like an overnight that success, success is just failing enough times, right? Well, <laughs> you know? it, that's a really good thing. That's a really good way to to put it. And I think that like what we were talking about earlier of like with, with your kids is like, if that is a, a definition of success, what are we doing with our kids right now? Because there's so many people that won't let their kids fail the, the smallest thing, right? They won't let them get cut from the football team in third grade. Right. They won't let them get, you know, what whatever it is. It's like, you know, the the old story about Michael Jordan got cut from his basketball right. team, right? Right. Well, if Michael Jordan hadn't gotten cut from the basketball team, he might not be Michael Jordan. He right. might be Michael Jordan, the guy that works at the car dealership. Right. Not the guy that owns all the car dealerships. Or Michael Jordan, the guy who was a high recruit, but didn't make it in college. Right. I mean, who's exactly. to say that, that it's like, success would have continued, It's like right? that failure sometimes is the hard lesson that it takes to develop the fire inside that can't be taught. Right. You have to have this fire inside to be Elon Musk. You have to have a fire inside that is Michael Jordan, that is Conor McGregor, that is these spectacular success yeah. stories but where does that fire inside come from it doesn't come from easy success right that fire comes from really soul scarring right very disappointing failures right. and they say that will never happen again and, and i think it, even worse is what happens is is kids and people are taught to like uh blame others for the failure right just like you know oh you know my kid didn't you know, not make the team. You're just a bad coach or, you know, you're running the wrong offense or, or you're whatever that excuse is, which that to me is like the worst thing you can do. You know, instead of motivating the kid, you're telling them like, oh, it's OK. It's that guy's the guy at fault. And so it's just kind of all ass yeah. backwards. And and I think that's <laughs> I love that because I used to I used to see that all the time. I would see that 
the kid would come off the field and oh the ref the ref just did it and the parents were like yeah that ref he's terrible it's all that. and then my kids would come off and i was so careful with this so careful and they're like the ref just made so many bad calls and i would say well you know what sometimes you got to beat the other team and the ref right yeah you got to be good enough to where right there can be a dozen bad calls and you still win sure there can be a all these things can go wrong right but you still went, you have to figure out how to overcome every one of those things and expect that the ref is going to make a bad call. He's a human being yep. and he might be a human being that's influenced and is doing some home cooking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to know that because when you get into the real world, there's a Bubba system and there is a system that, that rewards friends of people. And if you're an outsider coming in, yep. that's the ref making a bad call. Are yep. you just going to, Make excuses, or are you going to realize, okay, sometimes I'm going to have to beat the Bubba system and the other exactly. guy for the bid. You know, the world, the system, the job, the career, the sport, whatever, is not catered to your success, right? And that's what, what I think is lost is like, again, not the assumption that you're going to win or be successful or whatever, but just that it's going to be easy because, like, it's made for me to be it's made for me to be successful. It's not made for you to be successful. Like right. you got to get around the system, you know, and I think another big thing in 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 these failures and in uh, these learning opportunities is the the ability to be retrospective. I think everything you go through shapes the way you frame a situation and picture something. Right. And so as you experience these failures, as you look back on them in life and different things in life and they're not all failures just experiences whatever it might be the way you view that at 30 might be different from the way you view it at 40 for sure which was the day different with the way you view it at 50 you know and i think it's important to sit back and spend that time being retrospective of going you know we were talking about it earlier right like if i hadn't been that trout fisherman in wyoming do i win the tournament in the keys which puts a unique spin to my whole career and becomes makes me more marketable more approachable all of a sudden i have these opportunities that may not exist if i hadn't made that you know you don't get that framing until you win the tournament and experience that success right but now all of a sudden that time frame in your life which you know may have sucked or may have been hard or may have thought about quitting all of a sudden you're like that's why that happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like the, what we were talking about on your podcast. And I do want to get to your podcast. We did your podcast right before this. And we were talking about the, uh, the, the concept of weaknesses is, is strength that somewhere along the line, what you're talking about right there is maybe what you assumed was your biggest weakness or, or, or you thought identified as your biggest weakness in life will turn out later in your life. If you work hard enough on it, that weakness will turn out to be your greatest strength. And what I had to ask you before was your experience with cancer, like your, your experience with cancer, that was a weakness in your life. You're like, Oh man, like this is it. But now you look back in retrospect and it's like, did that turn into a strength that is that that is you couldn't buy it you couldn't go to school for it you couldn't do anything this is an experiential thing that you had yeah. and you overcame this with the help of your family and everybody right. else and your doctors and everybody else but still it's it's something that at the time you're looking at it's my greatest weakness now what do you think about it i, I think it um it was a, a I look back at that time and there's a couple of takeaways. I think I, I look back at least at this stage of my life. Right. And one of them is I think it kept me somewhat grounded. Um, I think 
not that I was a I wasn't a bad kid, but I was a very um which I still am very open to everyone and anything, right? I'm I'm always willing to explore that area, right? Um and so I was kind of like the front all. Um and so being that I think there's always the opportunity to fall in with the wrong crowd, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have, but you know, there was I may have gone away to college, for instance. Who knows? You know, alternate universe, right? Marvel, right. you know, right. <laughs> alternate universes. You know, what happens if I go away to college? Do I stay with my girlfriend at the time who's not my wife? You know, do like how does that whole change? You know, and so there's little things that I look back in life and go, maybe this is why that happened. Um, which again has shown me the importance of that retrospective thinking. I think it also gave me the ability to learn how to compa- uh, com- compartmentalize my life right and so when we're when i was dealing with doctors and treatments and stuff like we're going to focus on that we're going to get through this head down grind it out but then like when i went out into the world and i went to college like i wasn't a cancer patient you know i was very adamant about like like it frustrated me and i that's part of the reason i struggle with this question like when people would ask me how i'm feeling how i'm doing and i know it came out of a good place but for me it was just like I'm just a normal person. Like, right. don't treat me special, you know? And so, again, I, I know that's a unique level of thinking of like that. Like, we're going to pretend this doesn't exist because I'm not going to let it hinder me, um, which I think to this day, uh, you know, benefits me in the roles I'm in and in, in what I'm doing in life in terms of I'm able to, when I'm doing something, focus in on that. Hyper- if I, you know, if, if I'm if I'm with the wife, I'm with the wife. If I'm with the kids, I'm with the kids. If I'm at work, I'm at work. And so it enables me at, to really juggle a lot of things which is critical to what i do um but while kind of driving levels of success uh, of excellence in all those areas hmm. you know interesting because i'm I able to it. compartmentalize my energy mm. into those areas interesting what do you think you're uh what are one or two things that you're the most grateful for in your life it's a good question um i would say my i'm grateful and this is going to be unique i'm grateful i'm grateful for the unique upbringing i had in terms of how i was brought up in a pretty conservative conservative household um because i think that's hard to find today and so that lends me a unique perspective and an exposure that i probably would not have been exposed to otherwise and because you can always go and get the liberal agenda or the worldly view on things that's easy to go get but to get that again the yin to the yang um i think it's hard to find i'm grateful that i was brought up in that different upbringing right um I, i think the other thing i'd be grateful for is um that i've been that i was born with this like thirst for knowledge and thirst for 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 like always in, the inquisitive mindset that I have. Um, I, I think uh, it's, I call it my blessing and my curse, but it's hard for me to like walk into places or go to things and not see how it could be done better, how mm. it could be done more efficiently, how it can be done differently. You know, it's just like, and, and I think that's gotten me in my career to where I am um, is, is that ability to like, always question everything you know it's uh it's part of the reason i'm fans of the people that i'm fans of today and i think that's a continuing learning path that i've taken so i'm grateful that i was born with that because i think it if, like i can't imagine living life not having that constant just like 
openness to learning about everything. And then I think lastly, I'd say I'm thankful that I had that experience with cancer to get me to where I am today. Because when I look back at that time, and again, those alternate universes, I somewhat fear if it hadn't happened, you know, which is a different, I don't think a lot of people would ever say those things, which is, well, I'm afraid if I didn't have cancer, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I don't think people view it like that very often. They're like, ah, that sucked. And it was terrible. And the drugs, this, this, and I had to have hip replacements. I don't ever view it like that. I always view it as, gosh, if that didn't happen, how could this have all gone sideways? You know, <laughs> right? Like, like and, and I think that's a very unique perspective. But I think it's something that people got to start thinking more like that because there's so much negativity put out there in the world. Like, you don't need to add to it in your own right. life. Like, take those experiences and learn. Yeah, I like thinking that, um, you know, you, you have to respect the journey. That's kind of what I tell yeah tell exactly. my my kids and my wife is like, you know, when you have these disappointments, and you have these failures there there's going to be something that you're going to learn or that you're going to experience or that you're going to decide will never happen again right. or something that you will never tolerate again and that guides the future of your life that 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 changes the trajectory of your life and and, and you know just to respect that journey and that is coming from somebody that's 53 thinking about me when I'm 20. Right. And when you're 20 and you're going through these things that you look back on at 53 going, that was a real learning experience and I'm glad it happened. When you're 20, you're like, the world is ending. This sucks. Like I do not see any light at the end of the tunnel here. This is a terrible thing. But then you look back on it and you're like, no, that really wasn't a terrible thing. You know, not getting that job, having that girl turn me down in a way that was damaging and and embarrassing was actually a really great thing, right? Like those, but, but you have to have that retrospect, like what, like you kept, you've mentioned that a couple of times, like it's important to have, to, to have, um, kind of time to contemplate where you've been, what that means and how it applies to where you're going. And then apply those lessons to whatever you're doing now. I love it. So tell me about your uh, your podcast because I know we're getting close to being time here. You you uh, you started this podcast. You didn't need to start this podcast. Um, you you're a professional. You're uh, a dad. You're a husband. You've got plenty of things to do. Mm-hmm. Why did you start the podcast? So I think it goes back to that second point I just touched on, which is like this thirst for learning, this thirst for exploring uh, stories, uh, histories. Uh, you know, I kind of, it's funny podcasts and me have like this long history. Cause I remember when they kind of first were announced, my cousin was, you know, would download them and then put them onto her iPod. And we, we went to college together and we would carpool a lot and she was always doing this stuff. And I was like, man, that seems like a pain in the ass. Like <laughs> I got to connect my iPod. Like I hate having to connect my iPod and waiting for it to download. And the iTunes always got to be updated. And I was like, man, this this no one all right so i i knew what they were i love the idea of them but i just like i hated the method right um again which is part of like my curse like this can be done better you know um and so fast forward i, I didn't do too much podcast listening but i always loved the the spoken word method of delivery was always like a big sports radio guy and and just love that that's again influenced by my dad was a big sports radio guy so it was like 
trips to Home Depot on the weekend was like sports radio was on the car. You know, I didn't grow up listening to music. My dad listened to talk shows, you know, whether it's political or sports. It was one of the two usually. And so, uh, again, forming who I am today, I think that's why I have an appreciation for the spoken word and this interview style of of podcasting. Um, In college, I met a guy who I would consider a mentor slash influence in my life, uh, a buddy named Eamon, who was just like on another level. Right? He was running websites and blogs and he was producing. He, he took like the playbook for his flag football team in college and made it an ebook and threw it on Amazon. And like to this day, he still gets like $12 auto deposit from Amazon randomly, <laughs> you know? And he's just like this guy who's always been like a true, true, true entrepreneur, right? Again, another immigrant family, I believe. And, you know, but just high level was the president of this and was just doing all these things. And I'm like, dude, how, like, how do you, like people ask Elon, like, how do you do it all? Like, that's how I was with this guy, right? Amen. You know, so FIU, which is a good school, but it's not, an Ivy League school, it's not the Dukes and the Harvards of the world. He goes on and studies accounting with us and then goes and interviews with Microsoft uh, for some analyst position, whatever, whatever. And he tells me the story. I'm like in this waiting room with like 30 other people in suits, you know, and I'm like, we're all chit chatting. And this guy's from Harvard. This guy's from Duke. This guy's from Yale. This guy's from Penn State. All these like Indiana, all these like blue chip business schools. He's like, I'm from FIU. Like, <laughs> Like not anything to brag about, right? Not at least not in that room, right? right. <laughs> and he gets the job, right? And so I followed his career, and he ends up with a startup, and just this guy who, like, I, I've always the believed in the in the saying that you are the average of the five people closest to you. Yeah. And so I, I kind of carry that throughout life, and I'm very, I want to say tactile, but uh, aware of like the influences and how much time I'm letting those shape and mold who I am. Um, and so he, um. You know, he, he landed that job. And again, it's just watching his career was motivating because it's like excellence drives excellence. And, mm-hmm. and I truly believe that. And so um, circling back to the question one more time. Um, how, why did you start the podcast? Right. Like- so, you know, fast forward, I end up becoming a big fan of who probably was the push to do the podcast was Joe Rogan's. Mm-hmm. I just loved and I tell people this all the time. You can hate him. You can love him. You can agree with him. You can not agree with him. If you're listening for those reasons, you're listening for the wrong reason. Just listen with an open mind. Right. Because the vast array of people that he has on is just, to me, mind boggling. I mean, the fact that he can hold conversation with a guy who's a stand up comedian for three hours and then spin around and interview Elon Musk for two and a half hours right. and then spin around and interview Robert Downey Jr. And spin around like. You know, and and spin around and have a biologist from Harvard on like just nothing's off limits. Right. right? And I just love that. I was like, man, this is and time aiming back into him. He first told me about Joe Rogan. You got to listen to this. Rogan's got this podcast. It's great. And this was like they were on the couch with the webcam like that early, like 2009 era. Right. Early, early on. And so I started listening to him and kind of in college, fell away from him, came back to him as he was on YouTube um, and just really went into it over the last couple of years, just really appreciating um, the amount of information and perspective you can gain from listening to some of those things, the amount of uh, knowledge you can gain. Um, and I was just like, how can I apply this to my life? Right. Is immediately what I thought. So I started kind of brainstorming. What would that look like? Do I want to get into this? What's the time level commitment? And, and what I struggled with was having the podcast be specific enough, but broad enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I knew it needed to have, 
a purpose. You can't just throw podcasts out and be like, it's just whatever I want to do. Like it's hard right. to, that's a hard sales pitch. Right. And so, um, I came up with the concept of the name being business unusual and the idea being like success is a journey and how do you define success? Right. Hmm. And so let's dive into that. Let's dive into that. I, I always have, every time I meet someone that's doing something or established or running an operation or whatever that might be, I always sit there and go, how did they get there? You know, that's like the, the first thing I, I like, like my client who runs a coffee shop. I'm like, have you always been running a coffee shop? Like, how did you get into like there's Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. You thought you were going to compete. Like why, you know, like all these questions just start going through my mind. And again, kind of being shaped by the idea that like, I studied accounting and I'm not doing accounting and like what, what is school really? And how is, how do we learn? I just felt like, you know what, let's start exploring locally, especially in South Florida, these journeys that people have taken to get to where they are today. So, you know, because all, all, all too often people think that success is like this overnight thing, like we just said. Right. And it's not, it's this journey. It's this journey that's shaped with little experiences that hopefully, again, you retrospectively learn from, to get to this, what you define success at. And success doesn't have to be CEO making $2 million, right? Success could be a guy who just wants to fish every day, right? And he's happy making 80 grand a year or 60 grand a year and living on the water and, and running his boat every day. That's what he wants to do. It doesn't have to be a monetary tie. It doesn't have to be a title. You know, it could be the, the stay-at-home mom who's launched a little side business, you know? And it's like, how do you balance that all out, right? How do you take mm -hmm. care of three kids and run the side hustle, which is the story of my friend who launched a, a coconut butter business in the peak of the CrossFit, you know, paleo diet craze, right? And uh, got put into Wegmans and a couple, you know, uh, regional stores and then made an exit, you know, made an exit because wow. she wanted to focus on her family. She sold the company, made some money, you know, and, and, exploring that exploring how did that shape how you raise your kids how did that why did that happen at that stage in life right why you know did you start this business that then you felt you needed to get out of to take that next step in your life you know a lot of people would see that as a not a tragedy but like an oh man like where could that have gone maybe she could have been a billionaire you know she doesn't view it like that you know like it was great i learned what i needed to do i made some money i i made a lot of mistakes you know but now it's it's enabling me to enable what I'm really passionate about, which mm -hmm. is stay at home moms working. So she started this virtual assistant training thing where she's helping moms learn how what a virtual assistant is and how to sell themselves as a virtual assistant. You know? Wow. So it's just again, stories like that I just love because it's like, would she be doing that if she didn't do, you know, what she did right. early on? No, probably not. You know, right. Would I have been where I am today if I hadn't gone through cancer? There's probably a high probability it would look different, you yeah. know, <laughs> well, it's definitely going to look different, you know, and you can't, can't second guess like all of the things like, right. you know, it, you, some questions, like when I've been on podcasts before, they say like, what are, what are things that, that you regret? And it's like, well, there's plenty of things that, you know, weren't, weren't the best decision. But I don't know that I regret any because they all led me here and I'm super happy and I'm, I'm exactly where I want to be. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, really happy and fulfilled in my life. And I know that a lot of that comes from the mistakes that I've made. It comes from the places that I've been that I shouldn't have been. Right. Like it comes from those things. Right. And so it's one thing to say, man, I wish that had never happened. But if that had never happened, you might not be here. Yeah. And if you're really super happy, then 
you know, you have to respect the journey. Yeah. That's and I think that, that's uh, if I if I want someone people to take one thing away from the podcast would be that to hopefully start viewing everything they go through as, again, a learning opportunity, but also, uh, you know, the frame to which their life's going to fit into. Like, there's a reason this is happening. It's going to change my perspective on something. Right. And that's what I hope to kind of help people see, help people see that, like, success is a grind and success can be. A difficult journey success is not linear you know it's it's peaks and valleys yeah, it's ups and downs sure. and um and and so i just again wanting to you know speak to anyone that 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 has that story because cool. I, I love it so where do people find it so people can find it. it's on spotify itunes called business unusual um debated a name change there because apparently barbara from shark tank has a similar name for her <laughs> podcast i said if it's an issue that i'm competing with barbara then I'll address it. Then, yeah. Right. Yeah. So business unusual uh, on, uh, on Instagram, it's going to be uh biz dot unusual. And um, on Facebook, same thing. Business unusual is the Facebook page. Um, subscribe, Spotify, iTunes. All right. Well, you're obviously great at it. This has been one of the better podcasts we've ever had. And uh, you're, you're, you're great at it. Thank you. I'm sure Appreciate you worked it. at yeah. it. Thanks um, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. great to see you. Congratulations mm-hmm. on all your success and, you. and certainly congratulations on your on your mindset. It's a winning mindset, and that's super important. Yeah. All right, that's Jeff Arias. Find him on Business Unusual, and uh, we'll be back next week. See you.